Hello everyone and welcome to episode 370 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a small crew here this week. Uh, poor Krim, dealing with uh, Spectrum internet issues, uh, woke up to find his internet out, which means it's just me and the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard, too many today. Richard, good morning. How are you today? Hey, Seth. Uh, I don't have Spectrum internet. I'm happy about that. <laughs> uh, I... I do. I, I always hear these horror stories about Spectrum, and I have Spectrum, and I guess I've just had good luck, or maybe it's the area I live in. There's like I'm the only person around here that has internet, so there's no one to interfere with it or something. <laughs> but I've always had like good good luck with my Spectrum. So, so yes, today kind of a weird a weird week, kind of a slow week. We got a little bit of new Capena news about the release schedule, so we're going to talk about that. I want to talk a little bit about, I don't know, the uh, the developments and future of Magic content. Uh, this week has been the week where all of the Star City Games writers who are no longer writing for Star City Games have been posting their kind of farewell articles, so I've kind of been thinking about Magic content, where it's come from, where it's going, how it's changed, so maybe we'll talk about that. I want to talk a little bit about my Modern and Modern Horizons 2 just dominating the list of most played creatures in the format and then answering some fish mail. So that's the plan for today. Before we jump into it, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And we've been telling you about Card Conduit, a great way to sell your magic collection and their curated shipment service that lets you sell valuable cards with a reduced service fee for quite a while now. And as long as your cards have a retail value of $2 or more, you can send in as many as you want and still only pay that 5% service fee and just like all of card conduit services you don't get to sort your cards you don't got to grade your cards you get to skip all those hassles and just safely package up your cards and ship them out and you'll even get a detailed report with all their results so you can check out card conduits curated shipment option as a way to buy list cards with fast processing optimized prices and the low low service fee of just five percent and right now you can even get another ten percent off by heading over to cardconduit.com slash mtg goldfish card Conduit. They're the easiest way to sell your magic card. So thank you to Car Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk some magic. Let's start with kind of an interesting piece of news. So Wizards released this past week uh, kind of the, the schedule for the next couple of set releases. When Streets of New Capena is coming out, when Commander Legends is coming out, and well, we got the dates on all that, which is good to know. The most interesting part, I think, is the release of New Cape Now is going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's actually coming out in paper before it comes out in digital, which is uh, different. So, Richard, why don't you let people know what the schedule is for this stuff, and then we can talk a little about what this means. Wait, I have a question. Yes. Is it Capena or is it Capena? I thought uh -oh. it was Capena. Capena, you might, I, 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 don't go with me. I'm probably wrong. They've officially I'm said it before, right? I'm pretty sure they said Capena. And it Capena. was just literally on the stream this past week that I didn't watch. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I had the volume down, so <laughs> you're probably right. It probably is Capena, but it's spelled like Capena. But it anyway. is spelled Capena. Uh, <laughs> all right, so previews start April 7th, right? Pretty standard, mm -hmm. uh, it's coming. Uh, April 22nd, new Capena pre-release in paper, April 28th, New Capenna digital release. Uh, so that's a full week after. And then a day after digital release, uh, global release. So the rest of uh, tabletop. So pre-release, coming back. If you want to play New Capenna first, uh, you would play the pre-release, which is a whole week earlier than digital. And I assume digital means arena and moto, but you know, definitely arena there. Yeah, so so what do you think? 
think of this. It's been a couple of years now that sets have come out uh, way earlier in digital, like a week ahead. In some cases, I think it's been closer to two weeks, like a week and a half ahead on digital compared to paper. This is a pretty big shift. And uh, is this a sign that Wizards trying to support paper? Is it just some fluky thing? Is it that they want another week of programming stuff on Arena and this is their way they get a little more time to add some animations or something? What do you make of this change, Richard? Uh, I, I think it's them trying to resuscitate paper magic. I, I think the numbers have probably been down and they're like, well, I guess we'll put it back ahead because this is how it used to be. Right? We used to have yeah. digital releases way after uh, the paper pre-release. Uh, so I think this is them trying to get you to go out to your local game store, right? Like if you had the choice on the same day to go to your local game store or you know draft on Arena at home, a lot of people started choosing to draft at home. So now you don't have a choice if you want to play immediately. Now whether people will take that choice, I'm not sure. Or you just wait a week and play digitally anyway. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I know for someone like me, so I'm already like a digital, digital first player, I guess, to steal Wizards terminology. Like I mostly play online. I've always mostly played online. Uh, but pre-releases are the one event that I would occasionally go out for. Like I would occasionally like make the track to go to pre-release to check out the new cards. Plus it's a really fun time. But once they switch the schedule, so the set was already out on Magic Online or already out on Arena, I didn't go to any pre-releases, not because pre-release got less fun, but because I could just play whatever I wanted to from my house. I could be recording modern videos with the new cards or standard videos. Like, so for me, this actually greatly, greatly increases the odds that I go out to pre-release for uh, new Capenna, let's say. Uh, so I think that's probably a good change. And it also might help a little bit with kind of the feeling that things get solved so quickly like by the time you go to pre-release you've already had the set out and in the past had like the big streamer day where everyone's playing the deck and sometimes it already feels like we already know what the best deck in standard is or things have already been like kind of solved so i think it should hopefully help with that to some extent too so i think probably a good change overall yeah. Do you think? Do you think they'll keep doing it? <laughs> That's do what I'm gonna this ask. Is back you. to the normal now, or this is just like a one-off test? I I hope so. Although I assume it will depend on what the data says. Like uh, wizards tracks everything they'll be able to know like did significantly more people go to pre-release because it was it was before the digital release or did it not make a difference if it makes a difference and it's getting more people out playing paper magic i think this would be what they do moving forward on the other end if they look at the numbers and it's exactly the same and nothing changed uh, then i don't know maybe they go back to doing it the old way but i'm hopeful that this is gets more people out to pre-release and becomes the norm rather than a you know just some fluke what do you think about our other news which is commander legends coming out june 10th we're gonna have a pretty a pretty busy time so we have new capenna last week of april and then six weeks five weeks later we're going right into commander legends so i assume spoiler wise i mean we're probably gonna have what two or three weeks of new capenna before we start getting spoilers for commander legends too soon is that too quick Maybe, I, like, I don't understand Wizards facing. Like, we have all this downtime now, and then they're just all of a sudden going to, like, jam everything together. Like, remember, like, with the new sets, new Capenna is going to be, like, 50% Commander staples. And then you're going to have, like, Commander decks, and then you're going to have Commander Legends. Like, we're going to get an overload of Commander cards. 
So I, I do wish they space it out a little more, but I don't know. This is this is what it is. Like we, we had our this is our like winter vacation here. Like yeah. the, the timing is like Wizards was on vacation, so they couldn't do anything for now. So now we get the vacation and then we just get an onslaught of products going into the end of the year. So uh buckle up. Oh yeah, it's it's going to get super wild because we also have double masters coming out sometime over the summer. We also have more standard sets, like who knows when Dominaria releases. Traditionally, the core set's the beginning of July, so it's possible the core set's releasing like, well, not the core set this year, but Dominaria United is releasing about a month after we have Commander Legends, so it's going to be a super busy Magic time, but oh, I'm, I'm so excited for it. Which, this question came up, Bridger, this wasn't on our schedule, but out of the standard sets that are coming this year, which one are you most hyped for? So Kamiga was gone. We got Streets of New Capenna. Uh, we have Dominaire United and then Brothers War. Which one for you personally most hyped for? I think Mark Rosewater asked about this on his blog this week. Capenna. I, really? I Bobster World, like New World. Like I, I'm done with Dominaria. Like I don't need to see this. I read Brothers War book, like whatever. Baldur's Gate, like Capenna is <laughs> a New World. Bobsters, like... I don't know, like guns, whatever, right? <laughs> like we, we just never had this. I want to see Magic's take on this. So, and I'm always excited for new worlds. New worlds have generally been pretty good. So I I want to see what happens on the streets of New Capenna. I, I mean, I'm excited for all the sets this year. It seems like just a really strong run of sets. And I am interested to see what happens with New Capenna just because it's so much different than anything we've had in the past. But I think for me... It's, oh boy, it's probably Brothers War, although Dominaria, I, I'm kind of assuming Dominaria and Brothers War maybe going to like go together to some extent. I guess we'll have to see. But last time we went to Dominaria, that was one of the high points of recent magic. Do you remember 2018 when they released Dominaria and like uh, Land of War Elves came back to standard and everyone just loved that set. And that led into one of, I think the best year of magic since I've been making magic content where we had that. And then we had like modern horizons and everyone was so excited for the first modern Horizons. So I'm really hopeful that our return to Dominaria is going to be good. But if I had to pick one, I think it's gotta, it's gotta be brothers War. it's gotta be brothers or kind of the very opposite end of the spectrum where that's like super traditional, and old school compared to New Capenna, but it's going to be a really good year in Magic. I feel like Wizards is kind of kind of just nailing it with these new sets and themes lately. Just you got to base it off potential showcase versions, right? Like Brothers <laughs> War, like we're going to do like I don't know an artifact frame, like some old bordered stuff, whatever, right? But New Capenna, like you know, mobster movies, like what what could you possibly do for showcase frames here? It seems a lot more exciting. <laughs> oh yeah, there, there's got to be some good secret layer drops and showcase frames coming with that one, but. Uh, so that's coming up. Also, New Capena spoilers on Thursday. They're doing their early early sneak peek day or whatever, I believe, during the weekly MTG stream. So we'll get our first look at what those sets actually like on Thursday. But then we got to wait another month or so till we actually hit up spoiler season uh, proper. But anyway, that's New Capena and the rest of the sets coming out. I want to talk a little bit about modern. So I was perusing some of our data, Richard, over on the mtggoldfish.com. And one of the things we have is a list of the, the format staples, the most played cards in various formats from tournament deck list. And I was looking at modern and I was looking at the creatures and I was like, wait a minute, something's weird here. If you look at the top 10 creatures in modern right now, uh, it's Ragavan, Luris, Dragon Rage Chandler, Fury, Sanctifier, and Vec, Endurance, Solitude, Esper Sentinel, Turok, and Croxa, 
That lists the top 10 most heavily played creatures in the format. The oldest one on that list, it's Croxa. If there was Beyond Death, it just rotated from standard not that long ago. Like in the last two years, every single creature in the top 10 is from the last two years. And eight of them are from Modern Horizons 2 itself. Like this is complete and utter domination of new cards in the modern format. What do you make of this, Richard? Like, what do you think of this, Liz, first off? Like, good thing or bad thing? I mean, we meme the format as Modern Horizons <laughs> block constructed or something, right? And I guess it makes sense. Like, name a good old creature. Tarmogoyf? Delver? Death Shadow? I guess Snapcaster. Maybe you could expect Snapcaster to be in here, right? But Stoneforge? Stoneforge? Like I, like, I don't know, right? Like... Look at, look at the text on these creatures we're reading, right? Like, they're insane, and I think we've kind of known this. So, yes, it is shocking to see the data here, but, yeah, like, we don't play with old creatures anymore. Do you think, so, I, I tweeted about this, and a lot of people were talking about it. Do you take this as a sign that this is a bad thing for modern? There, that, That's kind of where the debate went, where some people are like, oh, this is horrible. It's got to get fixed. Other people are like, modern's great. I'm loving modern right now. Like, yeah, it's a little weird to see it so heavily skewed towards recent cards, but modern's really fun. Where do you kind of fall on that scale? I think it's bad. So if, if you think modern is just like a high power format, right, like period, then yeah, like having new high-powered cards enter the format all the time is great, right? So if you're in that camp, I can see where you're coming from. But I'm in more of the camp that like it's a place where you can play your decks forever. Old cards that don't have a home in standard uh, have a home in modern. And if that's the case, it, this doesn't match, right? Because every year we just print straight new cards into modern and your old standard cards have like no shot. So... In that sense, I don't like it. And I, I'm more of that camp. I like to, you know, build Tron or something and play it until I die. <laughs> right? Like that that that's theoretically maybe every year I add a card or two, but I shouldn't have to rotate my entire deck every year. And you know, if if we're going with the high powered format that rotates quickly, deck prices need to come down, right? Like you can't justify these prices uh at this rotation speed. Like it's actually kind of ridiculous. So I think the goals of the modern format are failing. Although you could say, you know, when you actually play the game, if you ignore like, you know, economy issues and things like that, it's pretty fun. But, you know, it's goals for the greater part of Magic, I think, are not being met. Yeah, it, it kind of echoes a lot of the stuff going on in Historic, where people are dealing with like the nerfs and uh, alchemy cards entering Historic, and there's a big debate there about, uh, do we want this? Is it good for the format? Is it supposed to be a place where we can play our old cards? Do we need another Eternal format that is a place we can play our old cards? Because Historic's becoming so much about these printed for Historic cards, or printed for alchemy cards, so you can kind of see the same thing happening in Modern. I'm really in the middle on this. Like, on one hand, I consider, like, 2015 Modern to just be the, the most fun I had playing Modern. And maybe it's hindsight bias. Maybe I got the rose-colored glasses on and I'm not remembering how much I hated losing to Twin or Tron or Birthing Pot or whatever dominant deck back in the day. But I, on one hand, I, I look back very fondly on the pre-Modern Horizons era of Modern. On the other hand, I think Modern is still in its own weird way, fairly healthy. 
it still is diverse. You can still compete with a lot of different things. All of those things just have a bunch of Modern Horizons cards in them. Like uh, there's, there's a lot of diversity among the Modern Horizons archetypes. So I, I totally agree with the deck price thing. If Modern was cheaper, I would be more okay with this. I'd be more okay with looking at this list of cards from the newest set, but because it's so expensive, in some ways, I'm I'm kind of dreading Modern Horizons 3, even though I love playing with Modern Horizons. Like, it's one of my favorite set releases. Every time it comes out, Modern becomes so interesting, and there's so much stuff I want to try. But if this happened for Modern Horizons 2, like, uh, I'm dreading a year or two from now looking at this list and seeing, you know, Ragavans and Furies and all these things bumped down is a new crop of, like, broken, must-have, over-the-top push cards. Just replace them, and then you got to do it again. And... I'm afraid it's going to kill the format, honestly. I just, I don't know how people can afford to keep up with modern. And I don't know how a new player can afford to get into modern. So I think there's definitely some concerns here, but the numbers are definitely super, super jarring. And I mean, I think it's that way for, for like legacy and stuff too. Just older formats have been so dominated. So I guess the next natural question is, is printing cards specifically for modern a bad thing? Like, that was something that was debated before Modern Horizons. Do we just want them not to do Modern Horizons anymore? Is that the solution to the problem? Or then are we going to deal with Modern being too stale and not changing enough? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a lot. I, I think printing, like, an entire set's worth of cards uh, is too much. You know, if they decided, like, oh, I need to make Fatal Push for Modern, so we'll stick it in the standard set here, and that'll be Modern's edition. Like, I don't think that'd be too bad. But I think just... Like, if you want to sell Modern Horizons, you can't just have one playable and all garbage, right? They all have to be, like, fairly playable, which means they all have to inject themselves into the metagame, uh, which means they're going to dominate the metagame, right? So, you know, it all makes sense from a sales perspective. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's the, the pace is too fast, right? Like, I I want to play my Jun deck from last year and not get laughed out of the, uh, the tournament <laughs> hall, you know? Like, they're like, oh... Look at this boomer magic over here, right? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Playing a vanilla two-drop, huh? right? Like, so, I don't know, right? And I, I feel it's a little sad, right? Like, where's Tron? You know, like, where's yeah. where's Affinity? Like, you know, where are these, like, giants of the metagame that just, like, fall out, right? Like, I think we lose some kind of historical aspect there. So, I, you know, it's a little, it's a little sad. Yeah, it is. It's it's definitely taken some adjusting to, uh, for sure. <sighs> well, I mean, I guess we'll see. I'm pretty confident Modern Horizons are going to keep happening. Uh, maybe we can see a power level adjustment. I honestly think, yes, I know Hogak or whatever, uh, Urza maybe were a little above the curve for the first Modern Horizons, but... The first one wasn't too bad. Like, maybe maybe the second one just went a little bit too far, and maybe the third one will be more like the first one and, and find that, like, happy medium between, like, completely dominating the format and adding new exciting cards into the format. So I think there is, uh, there is a needle that could potentially be threaded there, and I just, I hope that's what we see for Modern Horizons 3. But definitely interesting. Modern has certainly changed. Uh, also... I want to ask you about magic content, Richard. We've been doing this for, for quite a while now. I, I don't even remember when I started making content. I want to say 2014, maybe, was when I first first did. I remember my first my first big article, I believe, was about Commander Precondex, uh, the year that True Name Nemesis came out, which I think was Commander 2013, but it released in 2014 or something like that. Uh, so, so it's been quite a while that we've been doing this. 
In the past week, we've seen some big changes over the past month, really. But the last week is really driven at home. We talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about Star City Games getting rid of all their spike content. We've seen big changes at Channel Fireball and other old standby of magic content. Like when I first started doing this or before I started doing this, when I was just watching content, like those were the two biggest content sites, Channel Fireball and Star City Games. But things are definitely changing. What do you think about this huge shift in magic content. Where does magic content go from here, Richard? Like, what's going on in the content world? Yeah, it's it's weird. So I, I think, like, specific companies or specific brands shifting is not too strange. Like, for example, if SCG used to be dominant and then they replaced by Channel Fireball, I'm like, you know, that's that's just, like, the course of how things go. But, like, the sad part is, like, an entire pillar of content is gone, which is competitive uh, spike content, right? Like that to me is more jarring that like, you know, it's not being replaced by another company or like maybe, you know, an upcoming channel or something, right? But it's just literally gone. And I think it's reflective of the environment, like, you know, organized play is gone essentially, right? Like, you know, we don't have big wizards tournaments anymore. We don't have that kind of coverage. And so the trickle down is like, if you're not hype about the world championship or a pro tour why would you be reading about this, right? Like if you're not trying to grind your way, uh, you know, into gold, platinum or whatever it is, like why would you, you know, invest in a Star City Games premium membership to read what the latest pros have to say about this? So, you know, it's kind of sad, but it's kind of led by, you know, what we've seen, which is organized play just going away, right? And, you know, being unclear for several years and the flop of MPL and all that. So, but yeah, it is it is a little sad, right, that we don't have organized play anymore. Like, it used to be the best to, on a Sunday, you have nothing to do, you turn it on, watch some SCG Legacy, you know, like, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely sad for me, too. Some of my fondest memories of magic or just watching old school scg opens and so forth and it was it was always just so much fun i really enjoyed that and i've never even strived to be a pro player i just like enjoyed the coverage and enjoyed the casters and enjoyed the whole thing so it's definitely jarring to see any spike focused content pretty much going away like there's not much left do you think there's any way this this recovers or is this the new normal is this so we've seen in Magic overall the game a more casual trend. Like we've moved away from organized play and, you know, esports and all this stuff we were trying to do. And now the dominant force in Magic is Commander. Like that in gameplay, that is what is driving the game of Magic. And that's kind of happening in content too. As the spike content has sort of fizzled in the last couple of years, we see game nights and I hate your deck and all these like commander. There's so many commander series out there now. Mudsta and just uh, uh, the CDH uh, players that are doing a play to win and all that stuff. So much commander content. So do you think that seeing this spike content kind of fade, is that just content following the game as a whole in the same direction? Or do you think there's some way that this turns a corner? Do you think we get some announcement of organized play and then all of a sudden spike contents back and we go back to where we were a few years ago? Or is that SIP just sailed at this point? I think it sailed. I mean, I, I think the scenario you, you stated could happen. Like if Wizards decides, okay, you know, the best way to play Magic is 1v1 tournament setting, right? And then they print all of their cards to facilitate that. And they spend a lot of investment balancing the formats and making them fun in a 1v1 context, right? Yes, I could see that happening. Uh, but 
you know, do people actually want that or do they want to just play Commander, right? And I think people actually just want to play Commander, so Wizards will just keep printing Commander cards. They'll keep diverting resources from organized play into organized Commander play, whatever that is, right? And content will follow, right? And people will follow. I mean, I think the latest set is very indicative of this. I've been trying to play Standard, uh, Neon <laughs> Dynasty, and I just cannot get into it. Like... <laughs> I, I keep getting pulled away by all these weird commander cards, right? I see a card, I'm like, oh, I'll go build a commander deck instead, right? And I can play a bit of standard, and I'm like, mm, this this 1v1 deck sucks, but this is a sweet commander deck here, so I'll just repurpose the 60-card deck into a commander deck, right? So, like, Wizards has kind of done it themselves, right? Because I see Neon Dynasty as a commander set, not as a standard set anymore. And my focus has shifted, and I think that's just how it it goes right and there's no tournament to pull me in there's no big storyline with pros or whatever so that's just where the the natural you know inclination goes yeah i mean I, i've noticed myself doing that too as i do spoiler videos and go through those i mean i still i love playing modern and pioneer and standard especially when a new set comes out so i haven't got to the point where i'm like oh i'm you know not gonna play standard build a commander deck but so much of my focus is shifted towards commander stuff because that's how the cards have shifted and that's how the game has shifted and i don't think it's a bad thing because commander is a, a super fun way to play magic but it is it's almost like remember them ending like hall of fame invites to the pro tour or uh, some of the other shifts we've seen that have kind of uh chopped out some players from the community like we used to have finkel go to all the pro tours and then they got rid of hall of fame invites and finkel didn't start uh, start going to the pro tour as much i feel like we're seeing something similar happen with content where we're seeing all these old standbys that uh, i love their content and watch their content for years just uh, the game has shifted in a direction away from how they play magic and it does worry me to some extent just because I think the strength of Magic, and we've talked about this many times before, is it's it's a different game for everyone. There's so many ways you can play, and you can be a kitchen table casual, you can be a commander player, you can be a pro grinder, and seeing this this one, what well, I think important aspect of the competitive play and competitive content just kind of being, just kind of fading away, essentially, like it's disappearing. That does worry me a little bit because I think magic is at its best when it offers a way to play for everyone. And I don't think Finkel needs to become a commander player or whatever. Like, I don't want the, you know, the pro, the pro level players, the spikiest spikes to have to, you know, give up the way that they love playing magic because I feel like the game is big enough for all. It should be big enough for all of them. So it's definitely a little bit jarring. Where do you think content goes from here? I guess is the next question. We've seen what I would consider a, a seismic shift in the last few years from content being almost exclusively focused on spikes like when i started making content everything was spike focused i think that's part of why people enjoyed like against odds or budget magic because there just wasn't a ton of that going on at the time you know seven years ago eight years ago whenever it was uh, and everything was focused on how can you play your deck the best how can you qualify for a pro tour now we've shifted kind of the uh, opposite end of the spectrum where everything is casually based and there's relatively little content for the spike level players and i would not have predicted that five or seven years ago if you had told me that magic content would go in this direction i wouldn't have seen it coming so what do you think we're going to be talking about five years from now is it still just commander or could there be another shift that changes everything again magic tiktok commander shorts 
<laughs> and we talk about this internally a lot, right? But like this, this shouldn't be a shocker to anyone. Like who reads blogs still? Do you read blogs, Seth? Do you, do you have your little RSS reader and we read like blogs? Like, no, right? Like that's something nope. we used to do like eight years ago, right? You probably actually subscribe to blogs and read blogs. And that would be akin to like, you know, maybe a Star City Games article or something, right? Nowadays, you know, we use TikTok, we use Instagram, we use Twitter, right? You need to tell me your new theory of how to play magic in like 120 characters or less, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe if you're dancing in a video or something, yes. right? That's just the way like content <laughs> is consumed nowadays. So, you know, I think like overall, I don't think like uh, magic content has gone down in quality nor quantity, I think it's actually grown like exponentially compared to where we are, you know, we were eight years ago. It's just, it used to be articles back then. Nobody reads articles today. Hence, you don't make articles anymore, right? And, you know, what's popular? Like YouTube videos, right? Or streams, right? Or maybe TikTok shorts or Instagram posts or whatever, right? So we're just shifting from one format to the other. But I think... Overall, there's like way more content today than there was five years ago. There's way more high quality content today and there's more people consuming that content. So, you know, I think it's all an uptrend or at least it's proportional to how popular magic is, right? It's just the the focus has shifted from spike to casual and also the medium from articles, maybe long form videos to like shorts you know, little posts, whatever, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. I think there's certainly more magic content than there ever has been before and really better magic content. The quality just keeps going up and up as more people get into it. And I think maybe that's one of the upsides of TikTok and one of the upsides of shorts and even like, uh, I guess those in specific, but streaming as well, they're really easy to get into. Like, it's pretty intimidating to sit down and be like, all right, I'm going to make a hour long gameplay video with a deck tech and all that for YouTube. But to make a a TikTok video showing off your favorite card or a funny magic joke that you thought of or whatever, anyone can do that. Anyone can do that super quick and easily. So I feel like uh, not only has magic content improved and grown, but it's gotten much easier for anyone to pick up content, which I think is is really exciting. Like the more voices out there in the community, the the better. And I think that's one of the innovations that we've seen. And I guess it's up to I guess it's up to the the old guard to change with the times, I guess, to to innovate along with it. Like, what do you say to what do you say to a spiky content producer who's been doing this for a long time and in the last year saw pro play kind of fizzle and now spike focused content alongside it go away? Like what do, what do those people do? Do what you like. So the, the inverse situation happened five years ago, right? Some Someone was making commander content five years ago and there were no <laughs> yeah. commander players, right? But they're like, this is the best format ever. Let me show you all these cool things you can do. Right. And then eventually commander content took off and, you know, they're they're golden. Right. You know, same thing with spike content. Right. <laughs> like, you know, if, if you're really into one V one magic standard or whatever. Right. And you like brewing in standard or maybe playing the best deck optimally, you keep doing it. And then hopefully one day the return of glorious one V one comes back uh, and then you, you you get that you get that, you know, that lift. But, you know, it's a bit hard to chase things you're not, um, you know, not passionate about or not good at or whatever. Like, you know, for example, if you just love 1v1, you hate Commander, but you're like, oh, I need to make Commander content to get the clicks. 
uh, you know, it probably won't end well for you, right? So, oh, definitely, but, yeah. definitely not. I think, yeah, the the best content is definitely the content that you're passionate about and you enjoy making and you love like if uh, yeah making content of formats you don't like or decks you don't like is just it's miserable and that comes across to the viewer as well so that's like my that's my maybe most important philosophy for making content is make the content that you love and uh, hopefully the audience that also loves that will will find it as well so i think that's definitely true i mean since we're talking about content I don't know if I've ever asked you this. I get asked this question all the time, and this is a little bit off topic, but what do you say to, to one of those people just starting out, Richard? I get emails all the time from people who are like, I love your content. I want to start making my own content. What do I do? What's your advice for a new content producer? What's your advice to someone like that, Richard, who, because of this democratization of content and the ability for anyone to make it now, wants to get into the content game? What do you what do you tell to a new content producer? I think this is hard. It's always easy for us to just rattle off advice because, you know, we're, we're in the position of like we, we make content already. We have the survivorship bias, so it's a little easier to just rattle off things. But I think it has to do something with persistence. Um you, you need to keep doing what you do, you know, even when things look bleak or, you know, the environment doesn't look good or whatever. And then just hope, you know, as long as you're doing a good job that, you know, when it when when the environment looks better, you're the one that gets boosted. Right. So if commander is not popular, but you make the best commander content, your views might suck. Right. But when commander does become popular, you're suddenly the best uh, commander content producer. And the number one magic producer, you know, period, right? And, you know, if you just, just keep doing what you love and keep at it, I think this, I think it speaks for all of us, right? Like, you know, we we did, you know, I was working on Goldfish before we got any views of like literally anything, right? <laughs> like from the beginning, right? Because I, I really enjoyed it uh, and I used it personally and things like that, right? We made content before it blew up because, you know, we thought it was good, right? And eventually other people thought it was good and then other people watched it and they recommended it and it took off. But there were some times where we're like, I don't know, why are we doing this, right? Like no one's looking at it, anyone reading this, like what, what is going on, yeah. right? But you gotta just gotta keep going at it. Um, you know, it, it helps if you enjoy it. I think a lot of times people do things they don't enjoy. Uh, you know, I, I will still go play Commander if it gets no views because I like it, right? <laughs> like, you know, like I, I'll play for free on my own time. Better if people watch, but if they don't watch, whatever, I'm still having fun, right? So, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough though, right? Like you said, today there's so many people doing it. It was not as tough when we started doing content because, you know, we had like five people to compete with. <laughs> now you have like, you know, millions oh. and millions of people to compete with. So it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. I mean, I, I've told this story before about how I used to buy magic collections and it, 10 years ago to maybe longer than that. Now it was so easy to like look on Craigslist or I think that was the dominant one back then. I think it was before Facebook market was a big thing, but look on Craigslist and find people who were selling their collection and you know, sometime in the next week, go meet up with them and buy that collection and then, you know, piece it all 
out and make a few bucks and sort it all like but now that's almost impossible to do because there are hundreds of people doing the same thing like as soon as someone lists their magic collection someone's gonna be there in an hour buying it so it's very very difficult to do now i think content has like you said kind of followed that same trajectory where there's so many people doing it that it's definitely a lot harder to get noticed or break out or whatever but i think uh what you said is very right you just gotta make the content that you love and be persistent with it and hope that it ends up working out and i think also have realistic expectations you mentioned that as well that it's not always sometimes you make content and no one watch it we've gone through that same experience and i think that especially now with so many people making content if you're just starting out in a stream you're probably gonna have you know, a couple of people watching for quite a while and you just got to keep going because you love it and because you're enjoying it and hope that it ends up growing from there. Like I started making content, writing it on Reddit, writing like EV breakdowns, which are kind of impossible to do now because of so many different styles and the cards and all that. It's really, really difficult to do, but I just did it because I enjoyed it. I like the numbers and I wanted to know for my personal use, is it worth it to buy a box of whatever random old set? Like if I buy a box, am I going to lose a ton of money or can I actually get away with like cracking a box of this set and maybe get some of my value back out of it? So I was just doing that for myself and I was like, wow, I wonder if this could help other people. So I started posting it on Reddit and that's how I ended up meeting you and ended up writing for Goldfish. So I think it's very true that in some sense you got to be doing it for yourself and because you love it and then hopefully that you get lucky and you know people notice you and the rest eventually comes but if you're not enjoying it it's going to be it's going to be miserable because if you're not having fun and no one's watching you that seems like that seems like a really a really really sad position to be in but if you're having fun and you're doing something you love then you don't really care like i often try not to look at the views while i'm streaming or something because i don't want to be focused on that i want to be focused on everyone in chat and talking and having as much fun as possible with them because that's my that's what my focus should be not how many people are watching because when it comes down to it i'm having a good time and i'm playing magic and i'm hanging out with a, with a bunch of my friends in chat and we're talking about stuff and just having a good time and that's the most important aspect of it so i think that would be I think that would be my overarching advice too. like uh, be realistic with your expectations when you're starting off and make the content that you enjoy making and that you love making because then you win no matter what. Even if no one ends up watching it, hey, you got to play magic and had a good time while you're recording the video or whatever. So, oh, interesting. Any other content thoughts, Richard, before we before we move on? I, ha I have one question for you, Seth. Mm -hmm. Is this the final nail in the coffin for pro play? Because, you know, it, it's no secret that pros make no money from, like, actually playing the game, right? Like, the, the prize money they receive uh, is very little, uh, you know, and it's racked with inconsistencies and wizards, you know, randomly changing requirements. So a lot of pros throughout the history of Magic supplemented their income by making content, right? Like, uh, that's why all these, like you know, websites have pro writers, right? Like, because they're actually using that money to fund their pro magic careers. With this going away, does that mean we no longer have people that just exclusively play magic? Like, how do they fund their pro career anymore? I, I think, yes. I think the traditional lifestyle pro magic player I think that might be over with now. Like losing tournaments really, really hurt and losing pro players club guaranteed 
you know, uh, payouts for showing up to events and so forth. Losing that made it really, really difficult. But then you saw the content is something that could keep you going to some extent. Losing content and like guaranteed benefits from a pro player cub. I don't think we're going to have pro players in the way that we used to. I think if there's pro players, it's probably going to be people who are good at magic, but also good at streaming or good at YouTubing or whatever. Like, I think that is probably the pathway forward. I don't know if that counts as as pros in the traditional sense, uh, at least in the way that it used to be. But I don't think you can just be really good at magic anymore and make a living off of it. I, I, I don't think that's possible with the current setup. Could that change in the future? Yes. Am I hopeful that it'll change in the future? I would love to see that change where tournaments offered big prizes and people could be a pro magic player again. Like, I think that would be great. Is that going to happen? With how everything has went over the last couple of years, I'm, I'm definitely skeptical. So I'm gonna say, sadly, I think the, the pro lifestyle is essentially dead and now we're gonna have I don't know, I guess streamers and YouTubers, and that's kind of the the quote unquote pros. Although that doesn't even really count as pros because people who are getting the most views on YouTube or getting the most views on Twitch aren't necessarily the best magic players. Like that, there's not a strong correlation, I don't think, between your magic ability and your views on Twitch or YouTube because they just, they reward different things. The So I don't know, what do you think, Richard? Is, is pro magic done or the lifestyle of pro magic done? I think it's done. <laughs> like I like to be when I think pro magic player, I think of like someone in like Roanoke living out of their car. <laughs> like they, they drive to a tournament on Saturday or something, right? They play some magic and then they like write articles at night on their laptop. And then on Sunday they go play another article or they play another tournament. They just like bum around America uh, playing like random tournaments and then writing articles in their free time to actually pay for gas and food and stuff like that. I don't know how accurate that is. Like that, that may be a total misrepresentation of how this works, right? But I, I think, you know, like writing articles on the side is a part-time job and then, you know, traveling to tournaments all the time. I think that's done. And I think you're right. Like it's, you're going to have to be an individual content creator. But then at that point, you'd be like, why would I even bother wasting time going to tournaments? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, like if, if what's paying the bills is my YouTube channel, why am I spending a weekend all the time, you know, going and making negative money uh, playing? Like, why don't I just focus more of that time on my YouTube channel, right? And I, I think the I, answer is you, 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 you will just do your YouTube channel and then you'll be a big YouTube creator and then you won't bother with, you know, pro play. Yeah, I, I think that's another really interesting shift. Uh, in the past, I think part of the value of going to tournaments is that's how you could become a content creator. When people would ask me, like, how do I become a content creator? It's kind of like do all the stuff we were talking about and get lucky. Or the other pathway was go spike a SCG open, go spike a GP, go spike a pro tour. And then Channel Fireball or Star City Games or one of them probably going to hire you to make content because you have this like tournament rep or whatever to to back it up and to back up your magic opinions that pathway i think is is gone now like there's no there's no spike content no one's no one cares at this point about your tournament results that's not a prerequisite to getting a content creating gig anymore which i think it was for a long time uh, especially for spike focused content so with that being gone what is the point to going to tournaments like it really isn't. It's a, it's a negative for most people 
people who are trying to make magic their job. And I think that's that's where we're heading. Are there going to be pro magic players? No, I don't think so in the traditional sense, unless there's a big change. But I think there's definitely going to be plenty of people who are pro magic people i'm not even sure like content producers essentially (laughs) like people who who make their entire living off of magic streaming and TikToking and making youtube videos like i think that is still an attainable goal that definitely people can do the weird thing is that doesn't necessarily reward you for being the best magic player which is kind of like the weird disconnect yeah anyway any other any other content stuff richard before we answer some fish mail no, I'm sufficiently depressed about <laughs> pro magic, Seth. <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I'm still holding out hope that it comes back. I'm still holding out hope for some awesome announcement, the return of GPs and qualifiers and pro tours. Like, even though I'm not going to grind those and I've never been interested in that, oh, I, I just love that stuff. I love following it. I love watching it. I love rooting for my favorite players. So, I'm still holding out hope. Maybe it's misguided. Maybe it never happens. But. Oh, Come on, Wizards, please. At least a little something for the pro community. They could use it right now. Wait, are we getting a Neon Dynasty Pro Tour? <laughs> what, what happened uh, to it? I don't hear anything about it. No. So they have, like, the set championships through Arena yeah. that you qualify for. But I think that's the the closest thing to a Pro Tour at this point. But there's, yeah, there's no no actual Pro Tours, I don't believe. Anyway, let's answer some uh, some fish mail. All right. If you have questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MGFishmail. And we'll get to your questions on air. Uh, Eleven Vicious, when are we going to get a Richard CDH stream or YouTube series? <laughs> That's a question you for you, to, Richard. You have to be good at CDH for people to watch you. <laughs> uh, um, people want to see Ragak. They want to see Ragak and Arden beating down all the... <laughs> All the Thassa's Oracle lists or whatever. I think people would watch that. Yeah, I, I appeared on Play to Win once where I punted away my victory. I, I had the victory in the bag with Rogak Arden. Um, I do want to play like Boomer Jund at some point. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe we, we can't get a, a random video somewhere. Jund him out uh, with Richard. I've been pitching that for years. <laughs> it, it sounds funny, but I don't think you actually want to watch it. Like, no, I, you want I to invest want the... two hours to see me go three two in a, <laughs> in a modern league and be extremely happy that I managed to go three two. Like, <laughs> all right, uh, D Coopster. I like the power level of modern, but now it's too expensive. Along with arena, making it more expensive with arena. Uh, I've since found Penny dreadful and his Brewers Paradise. Why does he get more attention as a budget format with rotations? Cool. So. The biggest challenge facing Penny Dreadful is it's not supported on Magic Online. I know that's that's what really keeps me from trying it out more often. Uh, so uh, a supported format, you can just jump on Magic Online, go into a queue or fire up a match and play against someone, jump into a league if you want to. But with something like Penny Dreadful, you have this additional hurdle where you have to like go to a Discord and find someone else who is also wanting to play Penny Dreadful and then get into a match with them. Also, you don't have just automatic filters for deck building on Magic Online compared to other formats where you can just click Popper and see everything that's legal. You don't really have that for Penny Dreadful. So I think the biggest thing that would support Penny Dreadful is it becoming supported by Wizards on Magic Online. That would change everything. But there's just a lot of hoops you got to jump through for unsupported formats, which makes it 
additionally hard for new players to get into. Magic Online's already intimidating if you've never played it before. And then when you add in, well, you gotta go to Scryfall to filter by Penny Dreadful to see what's legal. And then once you make a deck, you gotta go to this Discord and try to like meet someone who also wants to play you. That's just a lot of hoops for someone to jump through, even though the concept of Penny Dreadful is, is awesome and I love it and I love how cheap it is. All right, uh, what are you doing 17? Kamigawa Limited has been a blast. Do you think having Alchemy in their back pockets for standard helped them create a better limited set? Like if they could always improve their nerf cards after release for standard, they could design for limited? I actually think this might be true, although I don't know how long Alchemy was in the works. I think that's an interesting question. Like, had they been planning Alchemy for like two years or did this kind of just come up more recently? Because I assume they could make the cards pretty quickly if they wanted to. But based on the latest round of nerfs, we saw a lot of cards. And I think Wizards even mentioned it in the article. Like, these cards aren't legal and limited anymore. The, the change versions. So that would allow Wizards to make the best limited version of a card. And then if some random zombie is not good enough for constructed, they can always change it in alchemy to give it a little bit more power. So I'm going to say yes, although I'm not sure how much this is already filtered through the magic ecosystem at this point. Yeah, I think I disagree. I, I, I like so limited has always been good. You know, I think this one is exceptionally good, but I don't think it has to do with alchemy because I, I don't think they would plan their limited format around this digital only format like i i think they're they're pl they're planning for paper standard um and they're planning for normal standard so i i don't think they were doing like strange things with the hopes of alchemy fixing standard for them because remember these cards do go into modern and, and whatever right so i i don't think the digital aspect had that much to do with it but you never know uh salty hummus boy played against someone who played narset as their commander who was able to cast two creature spells off of her in Moto. We called it out as a bug, but they did it again next time. Would you guys have left them or... Oh, would you guys have played them or left them in exile? BM or fair game? Oh, so my personal ethics on Magic Online is if I'm 100% sure something is a bug, I'm going to do what I can to play the card unbugged. So in the case of Narset letting you cast creatures, when it's only supposed to let you cast non-creatures, I would not cast them personally. I don't think it's like wrong if you do, like if that's something that you're okay with and you're gonna be like, well, Magic Online, the rules should work. Uh, I can, I guess I can see that perspective, but for me personally, I'm gonna try to play the card as correctly as possible, even if Magic Online fails. This, this is super awkward because maybe the, the rule is super obvious to you, but not the other person. Right. Yeah. And they're they're thinking it's the right thing and Magic Online is letting them do it. And you know, maybe in this case it's simple, but I know we played Commander Clash where like random stuff happens, we're like, um, is this correct or no? And then a lot of the times what we think is correct turns out to be incorrect, or what we think is incorrect <laughs> is actually correct when editor tells us later. So I think it's actually really tough. Um and I think it's up to wizards to fix this so that players aren't put in this situation. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I think for game specifics, I think you have to go with group vote. Like, I think as a group, you decide whether it's broken or not. And whatever the majority is, I think that is the decision you guys abide by. Because other than, like there's there's no judge you can really call in. Right. So it's really just vote and hope the majority of you have the rules. Right. Um, but yeah, just hope Wizards actually fixes these. But there's always like there's always bugs on Moto and some people do abuse them. 
And I, I don't know how you could do anything about it other than having wizards fix those bugs to begin with. Uh, intentionally abusing bugs drives me yeah. a little bit crazy. Like that's, and that is, I believe, against the terms of service. And I don't know if it applies to a random, like, casual commander game, but I know if you intentionally play bug cards and abuse the bugs in, like, a league or something, there are people who have gotten their accounts suspended or banned for doing stuff like that. So I would definitely. Uh, definitely be cautious about doing that but this is a really good point that it's not always that clear and we've certainly had situations where we don't know if it's a bug or not it's some weird quirky thing and we think it should work one way but it works a different way and in those situations how do you know so i i guess going with whatever the rest of the table thinks is the way to go although it's something like narset it's pretty i mean it's pretty straightforward like you, you can only guess non-creatures if you can cast creatures I think that one, even to a relatively new player, is probably pretty clearly a bug. And if I knew 100% it was a bug, I would just try to play it correctly. What if it was a shrine, Seth? Is that a creature <laughs> oh, type? Oh, or no. A... oh, no. No. <laughs> is that, what is this? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, all right. Paul Barco. Uh, thoughts on Grease Fang and Parhelion 2 being a turn three when, uh, when the game combo in Historic, it doesn't die to sorcery speed removal and can mostly only be defeated by two mana removal or turn one or two non-cage graveyard hate seems too fast for the format. So I've played this deck a bit, not so much in Historic. I know Krim has played it in Historic on the YouTube channel. I've played it in Pioneer. The combo is, is strong, but normally... When your combo is disrupted by Graveyard Hate, I'm not super concerned about it. Because even in Historic, we got Leyline of the Void, we got Rest in Peace, uh, Graft Digger's Cage only hits creatures, so that doesn't actually work, uh, but there's Soul Guide Lanterns and Tormod Scripts, so there are plenty of answers for it. The other thing I've noticed with the combo is, it is a little bit lacking in consistency, because neither of the combo pieces really have a backup. Like, sure, you can reanimate another vehicle, but nothing's close to Parhelion in power level as far as winning the game in, like, one turn. And there's nothing else that really does what Grease Fang does. Sure, you can reanimate a Parhelion, but without Grease Fang to crew it, just refurbishing it or whatever isn't that good. So I'm going to lean towards the deck being okay at this point because it's disruptible by Graveyard Hate and a little bit lacking in consistency. But uh, it's certainly really powerful with its good draws. Its good draws, when it's not disrupted, is one of the most powerful things you can do in Historic right now. All right, last question. Shigoko, in the last episode, you mostly jokingly talked about breaking Reaper of the Wilds with modern magic theory. Uh, what is modern magic theory? Ooh, wait. Who joked? I don't remember this. We, like at all. We, we were talking about like cards you regret or something, and I think we brought up Reaper of the Wilds. Uh, four mana, four or five. I don't know what it does. Golgari hits cries or something. And we thought it was like, oh, you know, it'd be so good at that time because it was a giant stat stick, but it turned out to be useless. Uh, um, so, so Cerberus is also another card I remember. <laughs> like these giant stat sticks that like don't do anything. Yeah. As far as modern magic theory, I think that magic theory is just constantly developing like uh, if you look back over like the generations of magic going back to the 90s there's always different innovations from the first like slide deck the first mono red egg or someone figuring out oh like if i focus on being as mana efficient and fast as possible like this can be a successful strategy up to i would say some of the more recent innovations are really the number of lands people are playing. Even a few years ago, I think the decks tend to shy on playing as few lands as possible. And now we see a lot of decks that are playing 25 lands. We see decks that are playing 30 lands, control decks that are playing uh, close to 30 lands. So I think there's just constantly these small innovations as people 
learn more and more about the optimal way to play the game. So I don't know if there's any like cutoff where I'd be like, oh, this is modern magic theory. And before that, it was pre-modern magic theory or whatever. I think it's kind of just like a, a constant state of learning and evolution. It, at least that's how I view it. If only we had a place to read about modern magic theory <laughs> spike content, if you will, yeah. Seth. Uh, um, yeah. I would say like roughly something like in the beginning of magic, people learned about a mana curve, right? Like that wasn't a thing before. And the idea of like, you know, having two drops in your deck and playing on curve um, is more important than just playing like seven drop bombs. Uh, and then at some point it became about card advantage, right? You're like, okay, you can play on curve, but if you run into cards, you die. Uh, and you have nothing to do and you, you gear for top deck wars or whatever, right? So the idea is to avoid that. And I, I think... We're somewhere along the lines of like tempo now. It's more about tempo. Like you don't run out of cards. It's who can deploy the most cards. And if you look back at some of these old cards, like Reaper of the Wilds, like they, they're big creatures that do nothing. Uh, and then they die. And it's like a massive loss of tempo, right? Like the idea of an ETB trigger is kind of like a tempo advantage, right? Like even if you kill it, you got to cast whatever its ETB trigger is. Uh, so it's not only a card advantage play, but it's also a tempo play as well. And I think that brings us all the way to like Raghavan, which is like straight, you know, just straight tempo. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I think I think this happens in Commander too. Uh, you guys keep memeing me for Cartographer's Hawk, but <laughs> <laughs> like I think ramp is the most important thing you can do in Commander. Uh, and things like efficiency, uh, things like card draw, like those are no, like those are not important in Commander. Um, like not 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 in the same way you think they're important in one v one. So I think it is shifting all the time. Um, so yeah, like I think we we tend to evaluate cards using the old model. Right. So when we when we look at like Reaper of the Wild or something, right, we're like, oh, it's so strong for its spot on the curve, but it provides no tempo advantage nor card advantage. Right. So you're you're evaluating it in the wrong context. Right. Um, so I, I think we tend to do that. So we always look back at old cards and we're like, oh, we got that so wrong. But, you know, with today's theory, it's like actually we, we should have been able to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I make that mistake, too. I think I'm hopefully starting to make it less. But there, especially like a year or two ago, like things have changed so much. There were a lot of times during spoiler season, I'd be like, oh, this card was a lot like this card that used to be good 10 years ago. And then the new card would just totally fall flat and do nothing. And that's because like the game has changed. So you're I think you're right. You're looking for different things. I would add snowballing to the list. Uh, maybe that falls into the tempo plan. But I think Reaper of the Wilds definitely good for being a four drop it's got good stats and it has like some incidental upside with its abilities but it doesn't just snowball you into a win and i think that's really what you're you're looking for with a lot of your premier threats you want the the gold span dragons or the ragavans the the creatures that if this goes unchecked it just generates this insurmountable repeatable uh, advantage that eventually is going to win you the game oh, i'm even more sad about spike content now seth <laughs> i'm recalling <laughs> the, some I magic the theory I think it was LSV or something who's like posited the question like if you had like a vanilla three drop or four drop, how big would it have to be to be playable, right? Oh, and you're yeah. like, I don't know, seven, seven, eight, eight or something, right? Like it's like some absurdly high number uh, because it has to have enough stats to make up for the lack of tempo and card advantage and whatnot, right? Just having a beefy body. Uh, but what yeah. I've learned is in spoiler season, like any random mid range threat is probably like super overrated, like. <laughs> 
time and time again. Like Reef of the Wild, uh, Underworld Cerberus. I remember there's like a was like a four man a six six or something, right? And people were like, "Oh my god, it's so wow. efficient, it's yep. so good, right?" And it's card advantage because you can get cards back from the graveyard or something. But saw zero play. <laughs> Yeah, the, the world has changed. The magic world has changed for sure. I, I want a five mana 2020. Like, can, we, can we get that? Is that I think is that, that would possible? be fine. Like, would that even be good? <laughs> would it be playable or would you still play Goldspan? Because <laughs> you want the treasure or Elder Gargaroth because it draws you cards or whatever. <laughs> I think that's the irony. I would play a five mana 2020 and lose the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we got the, the body of research, which definitely has some restricted cost, but that's a six mana 4040 or whatever. And that's that's he's literally zero play. <laughs> None. <laughs> Uh, outdone by a monkey that's that's the state of modern <laughs> magic okay uh, that's all the time we have for fishville this week thank you to everyone who sent them in if you have questions send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air and i believe that brings us to the end of episode 370 of the mtg goldfish podcast so richard thanks for hanging out thanks to everyone for listening thanks to card conduit for supporting the show and we will be back next week to talk about Huh? the early new Capena spoilers and whatever else goes on in the world of magic. So until then, have a wonderful week, everyone. And this is a crew signing out. <laughs>